Almighty Father God, your compassion and wisdom, they are perfect, unwavering and sure. You have led your people in every generation, and this morning we come to confess that your ways are righteous, your ways are indeed blameless. Oh, the depth of your, of their, of your riches and wisdom and knowledge, O oh Lord. How unsearchable are your judgments and how inscrutable are your ways. Father, we confess our constant desire to order and to plan our own way apart from your wisdom. We often become frustrated and even angry when life does not lay itself out before us as we so often expect. Lord, grant us, I pray, repentance this morning that we might receive your strong hand of providence and your perfect way for our lives. Give us faith, I pray, Lord, that we may not simply endure the unknown path or the shadowy valley that may lay ahead of us, but that we might rejoice in your presence and walk with confidence in your sure promises that we have in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for the way that has, led us, that has led us here this morning. And thank you for the blessings you have provided all along the way. May we be ever mindful of your mercy, your steadfast love, your faithfulness as we walk this path that you have before us. For from Christ and through Christ and to Christ are all things. To Christ be glory forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Many of you are more familiar than even I am of the lady Fanny Crosby. She was an incredible hymn writer in the, at the end of the 1900s, uh, excuse me, the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. If you think about the time period that she was in, the end of the 1800s, um, we know that that was a very difficult time to live. And yet, even more difficult for Fanny Crosby because she lived her whole life in darkness. She was blind. The story goes that the doctors were trying to help her as she was young as an, as an infant and placed some salve on her eyes that ended up causing the blindness to be permanent. So she lived a, a life that was very difficult in a time that wasn't kind to those who were not able to see. Doesn't that help us understand better the hymn that she wrote in 1875 that goes like this? All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my God. Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me. Do you hear that? You almost can't help but to think she's thinking of this blindness that she was stricken with for her whole life. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doth all things well. Well, that's, that's a 
a sermon in itself. (laughs) And this morning, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to be saying a whole lot of things that you don't already know from this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. But I will say I'll be saying a lot of things that you need to rehear this morning. That you need to reaffirm in your own heart and life as you seek to follow this God, this Lord, who desires to lead us. We're all here this morning. And we're all here in different places in our lives. So many of us have situations and circumstances that you come here with every Lord's Day and you wonder how in the world is the Lord going to work all these things out? What's going to happen in these circumstances and situations that I find myself in? This morning we're going to notice that God's people were being led by the Lord and I want us to notice some of the principles, some of the things that the Lord is seeking to teach His people not only as he's leading his people in Exodus chapter 13, which we're going to see this morning, but also as these people are reading this text as they go into the promised land, Joshua and the others, as they read this text and are reaffirmed that the Lord is indeed leading them, though their lives may seem very chaotic. Now we're 13 chapters into Exodus and we have a little ways to go. And yet sometimes as we get in the middle of a larger book like this, we can easily lose our way. We can forget the, the main point, the main aim of the book. So before we actually launch into the actual text itself, I want you to turn with me just a few pages back to Exodus chapter 5. Um, as you know, I, I read and reread the book of Exodus as I'm preaching through it so that I can kind of get a, keep an idea of the scope of the entire book and where it's heading. And uh, as I've been reading and as I've been studying, I've landed on a verse that I think is the central verse for the book of Exodus, really the, the, the aim of the entire book. And hopefully this will anchor us now that we're in chapter 13 so that we can begin seeing this theme play itself out and begin working itself out through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I want you to notice here with me. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, and this is really, I believe, the question that the book of Exodus is answering. It's this question that Pharaoh asks of Moses when he was first confronted with Moses, and it is this, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? That's the question that I believe if you're faithful to hear and to receive the messages as we go on through the book of Exodus, you're going to become more and more clear about that question. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? So with that as an anchor, hopefully, in our hearts for the rest of the book of Exodus, as we consider that, know that that's going to be my aim as I'm going to continue to try to root us back to that question, who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? That question that Pharaoh asked. And this morning we're going to be asking the question as God was presenting himself. He's saying, I am the Lord who's leading you out of Egypt. I am the Lord who delivered you from your captivity. And I am the one who is going to take you through the wilderness to the promised land. However, what we find here in our passage this morning in chapter 13, verse 17, is that the Lord is leading His people in an unusual way. And so if you will, notice with me the 
four different things I want us to notice this morning in our text. Four different, maybe, reasons why the Lord is leading his people in this unusual way. And we can even ask, or maybe even apply, what are the four reasons why they should trust this one who is the Lord leading them in this way that seems so unconventional? First, number one, I want us to notice the path of the Lord. The path that the Lord takes, the path of the Lord, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 13. Chapter 13, verses 17 through 18, the path of the Lord. Number two, the promise of the Lord, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20, the promise of the Lord. And then third, the presence of the Lord, verses 21 through 22. And then finally, point number four is chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, the plan of the Lord. The plan of the Lord. The path, the promise, presence, and the plan. Let's notice first the path that the Lord takes his people on. Notice with me in verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did something. He did not, according to verse 17, he did not lead his people. He did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. We see here that the Lord did not lead them on the most evident and conventional way that they should go. Now, they didn't have a map. They didn't understand the world as a globe. They didn't understand all of this, but they knew where the sun was, and they knew that the promised land that the Lord had given to them was a promised land that was east of them and north of them. And yet, just to the north of Egypt was the Mediterranean Sea, and so the nearest and most obvious path for them would be heading northeast to the promised land. However, it says in our text here, that this was the way of the land of the Philistines. This was a very common route. It was called the way of the sea. It was one that was very heavily traveled. And, this shouldn't surprise you, the Egyptians of this day, which were the preeminent nation of the area, the Egyptians of this day had had, uh, posts all along, checkpoints all along this road, checking people in of who was going where and where they were heading. So the Egyptians, we even found, archaeologists have found records of these checkpoints and who was coming and going on this way of the sea. Some say that the reason the Lord did not want to lead them that way is because as they were going, they would have to stop at these checkpoints and they would still, in many ways, be under the authority of the Egyptians as they would have to stop and register at all these checkpoints along the way of the sea. But I want you to imagine it this way. If, um, if you were going from, and this may help us here, it's, it's a little different, but it, it may help us in understanding it. If you were going to, to Tallahassee, to Tampa, the best way to do that is to leave Tallahassee, head east on I-10, get on I-75, and I'm sure many of you probably have all kinds of back road routes. I, I, I don't know those, so I apologize if, if there's a quicker way to get there. I apologize. But nonetheless, most people would leave Tallahassee, head east on I-10, get on I-75 heading south and go down to Tampa. That would be the clearest and easiest way for you to go. It would be the way that is near. In the same way, it says here, it says God did not lead them according to this way that was near, although that was near. Many would say that the group this size could have gotten from uh, Egypt into the Promised Land in around two weeks, depending on how many people had to go. And so a two-week journey is basically what they're looking at. Now, we all know that God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Two weeks is 
seems like a hiccup compared to the amount of time they were in the wilderness. It says that the reason the, reason the Lord does this in verse 17, he says in verse 17, it says for, do you see that? That's a causal statement there. The reason the Lord did not lead them by the way that was near, by the way of the land of the Philistines, was because, or for, God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Just in way of note to all of us, we need to be aware of the fact that when we're under distress and struggle and difficulty, we will always return to what we know. We'll always return to the familiar We'll always go back to the habits and the routine that is most like what we enjoy. God's people have been living in Egypt and knew the Egyptian culture and understood their land and understood their customs and had had been there for 400 years. And so when they were being faced with war, the Lord knew their hearts, the Lord knows our heart. He said, the reason I didn't send them the near way, the easiest way, was because I knew that the Lord, he says, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Lord, in his graciousness and in his kindness, is leading his people the other way around. Not the short way, not the easy way. It says in verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness. Not by the way of the Philistines in verse 17, but instead by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Let me give you an example using the example we said a while ago. If you were leaving Tallahassee, getting on I-10, heading east, getting on 75, going south to go to Tampa, that makes the shortest route. Imagine if um, you were with one of your friends or, or, or loved ones, and they said, we're going to be leaving Tallahassee today, and we're going to be going to Tampa. But we've got to go through Atlanta to get there. You, you, we all know that we're, going the, that we're going the opposite direction from where we need to be. It's, it's, a, it's not just an inconvenience, it's in the other direction completely. As we find in our text, if you think about it, they heading according to the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea was, not, was actually heading south, heading away from the place that they were to be going. They were heading in the exact opposite direction. Dads, imagine the thousands and thousands and thousands of children that had heard the grumbling already, leaving Egypt. And then they realized, Dad is going, Moses is going the wrong direction. Can you imagine the number of complainers that were in the back seats <laughs> heading, heading into the wilderness when they were supposed to be going through the promised land? And everybody knows Moses is lost because he's going in the absolutely wrong direction. So wives, I want to encourage you to give grace to your husband. As he is lost and going in the wrong direction, Moses did the same thing. Notice here it says that in verse 18, the Lord led them around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And it says here, And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Some translations speak of it this way. It is a form of of, of being led out as if you were a battalion in order and in organized way. And that's really the point here. It wasn't that they were heading out ready to, to go to war or to fight. They were just slaves. They didn't have any weapons. But instead, we can better understand this, that they were going out in such an orderly and organized way that it looked like they were soldiers marching. 
So the Lord leads his people a different way than they feel is most obvious, most evident, and most natural. Brothers and sisters, God has led each and every one of us in a different way than we had planned. A different way that seemed most natural and most obvious to us in our own hearts. Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. That it is, not man, it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Many of you are learning this. It's not in us to direct and to guide our steps. It is for the Lord to do. The Proverbs speak of this. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We find that throughout our Bibles, as we turn through all of the characters, think of a character in Scripture. Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David. All of them, all of them are unusual, unique paths in their lives that the Lord took them down. And led them in ways that weren't that wasn't the unique or the easy or the narrow way or the closest way, but instead he leads them around a different way that seems so incredibly odd. Mr. Donald read for us this morning Acts 19. If you read through that entire chapter, as you as we saw the beginning of that chapter, there is there's obstacle after obstacle in Paul's life in order for him to be trying to propagate the gospel. He's doing God's work. He's ministering for the Lord. He's trying to get the gospel out. Won't the Lord give him a break and allow him to have an easier, more direct path? But every way along the way, Paul found obstacles. There's so many of his letters saying to the people in the different churches, I long to see you again and I don't know when I'll be able to get back there. His heart was to get to Rome in his whole life and we don't even know whether he got there yet in way of, in way of our text, the scriptures. We don't see where he was, he was actually there. We know that how was Saul first converted? Wasn't that a distraction? Saul left that day to go kill Christians, and on the way, the Lord stopped him and redirected his life altogether. So how can it be that we so often are frustrated or even angry when we are going through our lives and understanding, you know what? what, where I am right now is nowhere near what I thought I needed to be in and where I needed to be and what I need to be doing and things that I, there's so much. Lord, do you understand what you're doing? There's a lot of turns and twists. There's a lot of difficulties and questions. And yet the Lord has never led his people the easy and narrow way. That's just, that's just never the case. We don't see that in Scripture. What we see in Scripture is that the Lord is constantly leading his people around the other way, the long way, the not-so-obvious way. I thought about how was the best way for me to think about this and how the best way that we can, we can apply this, and this is what I came up with. If there's anybody in this room right now that calls somebody else in this room a mom or a dad, so if you have a mom or a dad in this room, then I'm going to give you homework for today. If you will, sometime this afternoon, talk to your mom and dad and ask them, either your mom or your dad, individually or separate, and say, has the Lord always made your path straight? Ask them that. Has the Lord always made your path straight? And then allow them, parents, you're here listening to me, 
Take that opportunity to help them see that your life is nothing like you planned it, but it's so much better being guided and directed by God's hand. Now, some of you here don't have someone to talk to this afternoon. And so this is what I would encourage you to do. Many of you are moms and dads, and I would encourage you to take the opportunity this week, and I, mean, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Take the opportunity sometime this week. Find someone that is older than you, all right, that's in the faith, that's walk with the Lord, and ask them, has the Lord always made your path straight? And if not, what, what is he doing? How is he leading in that regard? There are thousands of testimonies in this room of how your lives are nowhere near what you had planned and what you had put together and what you had ordered and organized, and yet the Lord in his divine providence led you through areas you would never want to go back again. They didn't want to go back to the wilderness again, right? You, you were led through incredible shadows of the valley, the valley of shadows of death. You were led through incredible difficulties and struggles. You were led through incredible difficulties. Some of you are in them right now. Know that the Lord's plan, the Lord's, excuse me, the Lord's path, the Lord's path is not that we go the easy, short, comfortable way. The Lord always, always takes his people the way that seems to be around, the way that doesn't seem to be conventional. So this morning we see first the, the path of the Lord. As the Lord is leading his people, he's leading them not by way of the land of the Philistines, but it says in verse 18, by way of the wilderness, by way of the wilderness. Second thing I want you to see in verses 19 and 20 is the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord. Doesn't it feel when you are being led by the way of the wilderness that the Lord doesn't know what he's doing? What are you thinking, Lord? Why can't this be easy? I'm trying to be faithful here and everything is falling apart. Nothing is fixed. Everything is broken I am, I'm out here in the desert. But what we find in verses 19 and 20 is that the Lord, though he has a plan that often is different and unique from what you would often plan, we find here in our passage in verses 19 and 20 that the Lord always does what he does according to his promises. You see, the Lord's not out there trying to figure it out. He doesn't have you out in the wilderness, and he's trying to figure this thing out as you're going. It may feel that way. The Lord isn't randomly figuring out the life circumstances of your life as you go. The Lord isn't saying, man, he really messed that one up this time, so I don't know what we're going to do now. We're going to do our best to try to hold this thing together. No, the Lord, according to our Bible, over and over again, The Lord is diligent and careful to accomplish his promises. He is faithful to continue to do what he says he's going to do. Like I said, 400 years the God's people were in the the land of Egypt. Turn with me back to Exodus chapter 1 for just a minute. Exodus chapter 1. Right at the beginning of Exodus, we find something unique. Exodus chapter 1. Verse 1 says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Goes through the twelve tribes of Israel, twelve sons of Jacob. Verse 5, it says, All the descendants of Jacob were seventy persons. Joseph was already there in Egypt. Verse 6, 
Then Joseph died, and all his brothers in all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Notice here, at the very, very beginning of Exodus, we have Joseph and Joseph dying. Look with me, if you will, in your Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, then this is easy. If you have a study Bible, you may have to turn a couple pages. Look at the last verses of the book of Genesis. Um, Genesis and Exodus have always been together. When people read them throughout all the generations, Genesis and Exodus were never separated. They were books that were always connected. And so people would read right out of the book of Genesis, right into the book of Exodus. And so notice this little excerpt about the last words, the last thing that Joseph wanted to make sure God's people knew, especially the, uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews knew, uh, in, at the end of Exodus. Look at Exodus, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Chapter 50, verse 22. Then Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Excuse me. Yes, Joseph saw Ephraim's children, the, children, the, the third generation. The children also of Mechar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph saw, said to his brothers, verse 24, And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He says, I'm getting ready to die, but I want you to know that the Lord isn't maybe possibly going to do this. The Lord will definitely, surely visit us, and he'll bring us out of this land. Why? Because he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord's going to do that. Verse 25, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit. Do you see the definitiveness there? Do you see the absolute nature of this promise? He made them swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Turn back with me to Exodus 13. Exodus 13 Verse 19, it says that God's people were acting according to the promise that God had given to them. And we see that in that they were obedient to this last command of Joseph. Again, 400 years. 400 years later, they go, oh, by the way, we've got to depend and rest on and live our lives according to this promise that God made to us. And so let's go do what God has called us to do, and that is to find Joseph's bones. It says in verse 19 of chapter 13 of Exodus, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Man, what a, what a testimony of faith. You know what he's saying? He's saying, this is about a promise. This isn't God doing random. This isn't, this isn't God trying to figure this thing out and wondering what he's doing. This is a God who is sure and steady to keep his promises. He made the sons of Israel. It says here, Moses took bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. That's the exact quote from Genesis, the end of Genesis, where Joseph said, take my bones with you, because God's going to lead us up out of here. 
verse 20, notice what it says. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. You You don't know where these places are, but basically that statement says they're taking the bones with them to verify and to confirm that the Lord's plan is to lead us to the promised land, and we are confident of that, so confident that we're going to dig this guy up, Joseph, that was 400 years earlier, and we're going to bring his bones with us. We're sure and confident the Lord's going to take us to the promised land, even though we're going in the wrong direction right now. <laughs> that's, that's what it's saying in verse 20. We're going, they, they went, they moved from Succoth and encamped in Etham. They're, they're going in the opposite direction, and yet they're living according to the promises of God. God calls us in the meandering and the difficulties and the struggles. He is still leading us, brothers and sisters. He's still leading you. And he's not leading you in some haphazard, weird, trying to figure it out as he goes kind of way. He is fulfilling his promises. He is sure to do that. He's going to take them to the promised land. And brothers and sisters, the Lord's going to get us to heaven. (laughs) He's going to get us where he wants us to be. And that plan of how he's going to do that isn't your plan. It's his plan. You can be confident that with the twists and the turns of our lives, that our perspective so often gets skewed on what exactly is God trying to do. And yet the Lord is leading us. He's leading us, and he's leading us not in some haphazard way, but according to his promises. And for us as the church, he's leading us according to the promises of his word. Do you live your life in such a way to know Romans 1.16, and it is this, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you live your lives in such a way as to affirm and to live out that very truth, that the gospel isn't some weak message that's just for church on Sunday, but it is the power of God that's going to deliver me as God has called and said he would do. Philippians 1.6, Paul reflects this kind of sentiment when he says, and I am sure, brothers and sisters, in Philippians 1.6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear the certainty of that? See, these people in Philippi were struggling of whether they were going to make it or not. Are we going to drop off the face of the earth? Is it it worth living our lives in such a way as to be devoted to the gospel and in so doing have to struggle because of that? And Paul says, no, you need to be sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work something unique and it is this his good pleasure brothers and sisters in 2 Corinthians 4 16 it says so we do not lose heart as our lives are being tossed to and fro we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction that is our life is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory and that eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not only leading us in ways that we're not sure of, and that we may not be aware of, but he's leading us according to his promises. Number three. Number three. Verses 21 through 22. The Lord is leading us not only in a longer path, not only according to his promises, but he's leading his people with his presence. With his presence. The path through the wilderness was longer. It was more difficult. It was winding. It was dangerous. It was messy. And it was troublesome. And yet, with all of the difficulty and struggle and nothing in that wilderness journey that the people of God would have wanted to have, as we find out as they are thirsty and hungry and struggling and whining and complaining, this is what the Lord tells them. Verse 21 and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The point here is that the, the presence of the Lord was with them day and night. You see, the Lord has never promised us a calendar. He hasn't promised us a spouse. He hasn't promised us health. He hasn't promised us all kinds of things. But he has promised us his presence. And so when it says here that the Lord went with them, we find this truth over and over again in Scripture. God comforts his people, not with the circumstances that are around them, but instead he comforts his people with his presence. That is why in the famous hymn, Psalm 23 Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why will we fear no evil if we're walking through the valley of shadow of death? Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, brothers and sisters, what the Lord is promising his people on this strange and peculiar path that he's got his people on in the book of Exodus and what the Lord is promising us today as he's got us on our strange and peculiar path that he's got us on is that though he hasn't scheduled hasn't given us a promise of a schedule an agenda a map how our days or years will be planned out he doesn't let us know that he doesn't tell us we're going to have health or success or resources or even loved ones forever though all of those things are wonderful gifts they're temporary what the Lord has promised us and he said will reside forever is his presence. It says in verse 22 of Exodus 13, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Notice this, underline it, remember it. You'll need to know this in about an hour from now when you're leaving this place and you're going into your day, you need to understand this. The Lord hasn't promised us so many things and yet he says this in verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day And the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The Lord was with them. The Lord was with them. So many of you this morning really would love it if the Lord would work and act so that this thing would be different or that thing would be different. If he would give me this or if he would take away that. If he would take care of this or would he provide this? And yet today that hasn't happened, has it? I mean, here we are today and the Lord hasn't 
hasn't done that thing that you're convinced that if he could only do, then everything else would be great. And the reason is, is because if you had that thing, you still wouldn't be pleased. You still wouldn't find your happiness. Why? Because what the Lord was teaching his people as he was leading them was that all you need is my presence. And you won't know that all you need is his presence if you have everything you want. But in your amazing need, all these things that are maladies, all these things that are lacks in your life, they're there not because God has turned his back, but because God is very present and he's wanting you to say, he's wanting you to say in your own heart, Lord, I need you more than I need this thing that I'm convinced will make my life easier. This is the exact promise that God tells Joshua as he's going into the going in, in Joshua as he's going through the promised land. Joshua chapter one, very first chapter of Joshua, they're going into the promised land. These people that are being led through the wilderness, they're finally going into the promised land. Joshua chapter one, verse five. You can't get much closer to the beginning of Joshua than that. And it says this. Just as I was with Moses, the Lord saying to Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Is that a promise to lay your life on? He will not leave you or forsake you. Now, why would the Lord say, I'm not going to leave you? He didn't just say that. He says, I'm not going to leave you, meaning that you're going to be convinced that I'm not here. And he goes on and says, and I'm not going to forsake you. As if you and I will be convinced that he's forsaking us. He says, I'm not going to do that. Psalm 1611 says this, and this is true. And you and I do not believe it. But we need to pray that the Lord, by the power of his spirit, will convince us of this truth. Here it is, Psalm 16, verse 11. And this is it. In your presence there is fullness of joy period your joy will not come if you get what you think you need in order for your life to be better your joy will come today if you are convinced and confident that in his presence is the fullness of my joy and whether he gives to me or whether he takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, he's leading us. These aren't things you don't already know, is it? But aren't these things that we need to be reminded of? I mean, these aren't truths. You're not sitting here thinking, wow, this is brand new stuff. I've never heard this before. Many of you have heard this over and over again. And yet, this morning, as I was studying this week, I was thinking, you know what? Lord, I need to hear these truths again. And I'm so glad that you're going to allow our congregation, allow so many of you that I know what's going on in so many of your lives, so many things that are happening, so many places where you're being led to, and you're like, Lord, I don't like it here. I don't want to be here. I want the short, easier, more comfortable route. The Lord is leading us, and he said he'll be with us. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's where we're going to find our joy. That's where we're going to find our contentment is in his presence. Finally, the path of the Lord, the promise of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, and as the Lord is leading us, I want us to notice finally verses 1 through 4 of chapter 14, the plan of the Lord. The Lord's plan. The Lord is implementing a plan here. Verse 4 to chapter 14 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi between Migdal 
and the sea in front of Bel Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, again, we have all these place names. Honestly, there's pages and pages and commentaries about what they think it might be, and every one of them ends with saying, and yet we really don't know. So the point is not where they were in the sense of a region that you can find on the map. The point of our text this morning is that they were, according to the end of verse 2, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. In other words, they were trapped in. (laughs) They, They went in the wrong direction. And they went in such a wrong direction that they went into an area where they were basically pinned. They, 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 they painted themselves into a corner, if you will. They, they took themselves into a place where nobody would conceivably leave anybody, especially if they're going to possibly be followed by the Egyptians. And so the Lord, in his divine providence, and in his wisdom, and in his perfect grace, led the people to a point where they were painted in a corner, and all they had to do was trust in God. Many of you have been there. Many of you have so turned and sorted and went in your life, and then all of a sudden, here I am, and the bottom has fallen out, and, the, and my back is against the wall, and the, and the only thing I can do right now is trust the Lord. Do you know why the Lord puts you in that kind of place? Because if you had any resource to depend on yourself, you would take it. The Lord puts us in places where our back is against the wall, or probably more specifically, on a hospital bed, so that we can say, Lord, up to this point, everything I've done has messed this thing up, and I need you. The Lord's leading his people to a point where their back is against the wall. Now, Pharaoh sees this, and he thinks it's wonderful. Pharaoh thinks these people, Moses is nuts in fact pharaoh it says in verse three for pharaoh will say of the people of israel this is the lord saying to moses he's saying that pharaoh when he sees that you're at this sea and you shall encamp there and uh, by the sea pharaoh will say to the people of israel say of the people of israel they are wandering in the land the wilderness has shut them in has shut them in in other words they, they they've they, they've gone into a corner And what does Pharaoh think at that point? He says, well, let's, let's go after him. Let's go do what we should have done to begin with. Let's go wipe them out. And it's amazing that the Pharaoh is thinking that, and yet the Lord is orchestrating it all along. Now, did the Lord, did the Lord, um, did the Lord do, do this? And, and he's speaking through Moses here, and obviously Moses is speaking to the people. But do you think that because the Lord was speaking to Moses and Moses told the people this is what Pharaoh is going to do, they're like, you know what? Great. That's good. We're not going to worry then. We'll just kind of do our thing. And No, they were terrified. They were told what the Lord said, but they were still terrified because they had an army that was less than loving toward them coming at them, and they were nothing but slaves. It says in verse 4, the Lord speaking here, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. Why is he going to pursue them? Because he thinks they've, they've gone into a corner, and they're, they're, they're fish in a barrel. <laughs> and so the Pharaoh's going to pursue them, and I will, the Lord says, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. The Lord's displaying his power. The Lord does things in our lives 
So that the only way you can live on the other side of that is if the Lord shows up. The Lord often works in desperate, desperate circumstances. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, there's no way I'm going to get X, Y, or Z. I've done everything I can do physically possible to make that happen, and it's still not happening. You're at a wonderful place for God to say, and watch this, I can do it without lifting a finger. Pharaoh Pharaoh pursued the people of Israel, and he did it for this reason, that he might convince God's people that he was Lord. It says in Romans 9, verse 17, Paul is picking up on this, this situation here, and he says this in Romans 9, 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up. This is why the Lord raised up Pharaoh. That I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, the Lord isn't, the Lord is seeking to allow his name to be known and his power to be displayed. He isn't just trying to fix your life. (laughs) Fixing your life is not what the Lord is after. Almighty God of heaven isn't looking down on you and saying, how can I make your path straight? He's about getting glory. The Lord is about ordering and orchestrating his promises and making his promises come true. Notice what it says at the end of verse 4. It says, not only through this circumstance of Pharaoh pursuing them, will the Lord say, the Lord says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. It goes on and it says in verse 4, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Do you remember the question that the book of Exodus is asking? Who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? The Lord says, I'm doing all of this so that they will know that I am the Lord. That's why the Lord does what he does. So that you and I will stop being convinced that we have some lordship in our own hands, but that God is absolutely and totally Lord in our lives and all of creation.